It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we're joining you um, a few days after the Orioles started the 2021 season. Uh, we're actually recording during Wednesday night's game between the Orioles and the Yankees. So we don't have the final score there yet. So as we go on to the air, the Orioles starting off the year three and two. They had a fantastic weekend sweep over the Red Sox at Fenway Park. Uh, followed by two kind of rough games against the Yankees. But so far on Wednesday night's game, looking a little bit better. So we'll dissect some of the storylines from the beginning of the season, as well as the news that Ryan Mountcastle is no longer a prospect and a very preliminary look at the 2021 draft. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and it's located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So as I noted uh, at the top of the show, the Orioles currently off to a 3-2 and two start. The storylines so far really have been the dominance of John Means, who had what many have said is one of the best uh, opening day starts in Orioles history against the Red Sox on Friday, and followed that up with a pretty solid outing tonight in New York against the Yankees. So he is off to a good start. Cedric Mullins is hitting the cover off the ball. Uh, we have had a few debuts, um, one of which was Ryan McKenna, which I think the three of us were happy to see. But the downside of that was that McKenna was brought up to replace Austin Hayes, who went on the injured list on Monday after suffering a right hamstring strain in Sunday's finale at Fenway Park. So we'll start right there, and I'll start with Bob. Um, just kind of a quick reaction to... Hayes getting hurt once again, given the concerns that he's had throughout his career with staying healthy, but then also uh, the arrival of Ryan McKenna to the majors. Yeah, it's what a mix of emotions that is. I mean, it's really unfortunate. Hayes had such a great spring. This is a guy that everyone says as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be productive at the major level, just a matter of how productive. And of course, he hurts it when he hits a bases loaded double, you know, and really looked like he was starting to heat up. You know, he had a bit of a cold stretch in the first couple games and was starting to look a little bit better. Looked like, you know, after such a slow start last season, he was trying a little bit too hard, maybe the first couple games, finally settling in and then tweaks his hamstring. The hope is that it's very minor. He can come back pretty close to the 10-day minimum. But it's just one thing after another with him, hopefully – I mean, it doesn't seem like something that should be too big of an issue, but, you know, fingers crossed. But as far as Ryan McKenna goes, it was definitely a, a pleasant surprise to see him get his major league debut so early. They put him right in the starting lineup right away, right field, short porch, 
in uh, Yankee Stadium. Ran out of room there a couple times in the game, but you know he drew a walk. He had some nice at bats. I'm sure he was nervous, but you know hopefully he gets a couple in there a couple more times before DJ Stewart comes back and he presumably gets sent right back down. Yes, the Hayes injury is just another bummer. I mean, I know we were all kind of sort of watching the game on uh, was that Sunday trying to figure out what happened. Um, yeah, I had family over, finally enjoying a holiday kind of safely for the first time in a long time. So the Orioles game was kind of a an afterthought there. But I saw him come out and he looked kind of frustrated. So I wasn't sure if if he got hurt or, or what the deal was there. I had no idea what was going on. But then the injury, um, you know, they announced as a hamstring discomfort. You know, maybe it's just the Orioles being precautious, I, I hope. Uh, and so maybe it's early in the year. We know he's injury prone. So if you go ahead and sit him down for 10 days, uh, maybe he'll come back and it'll just, just play it safe right now. Um, you know, he's he had such a hot spring. He was my pick uh, for the, the breakout player this year, all-star for the Orioles. But And I've got Mullins playing really well, which, you know, we can talk about later on. But And I know there's been the, the recent article of Hayes and Mullins being you know, such good friends. But you know there's a lot of competition there. And for Mullins to be performing so well and for Hayes to go down, like that, that's got to be a shot for Hayes because we know how intense of a competitor he is. So you know that's got to be bothering him a lot. I think you saw that when they took him out of the game. But, you know, like you said, Bob, it, it's fun to see Ryan McKenna up. Uh, he did get that walk. Um, I didn't think it was going to be McKenna. I thought for sure maybe it would be like a Stevie Wilkerson. He, he can also play the infield so they could move him around, do some weird lineup stuff, but they didn't. They gave it to McKenna, which is cool. I think it's just another sign that the Orioles are high on McKenna, uh, protecting him out of the Rule 5 draft two years ago now, last year. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he's going to be up for very long when DJ Stewart comes back healthy, but hopefully he gets an opportunity to showcase something over the next few days. Yeah, and it's, you know, we've talked before about how the Orioles – even if Hayes is able to make it through 2021 healthy, we'll probably still want to be cautious with him. You know, whether that means resting him on a regular schedule or however they want to go about that. Do you think that hopefully if he does come back sometime here in the next week or so, uh, that the Orioles maybe do take it a little slow to start off? Maybe he gets a few days off uh, initially, or maybe he DHs here and there just to kind of keep the legs fresh and to, hopefully prevent this from happening again. Maybe you keep him in a corner spot for the outfield just so he doesn't have to go chasing balls around too much in center. And plus Mullen looks, looks so good out there anyway that it might be the, the better move to make regardless. Yeah, I think especially if DJ Stewart's coming back, I know I think it was Rock Kabako said today there's really no set timetable still for his return. But I think if you have DJ Stewart coming back and you're able to do a lot with that lineup. So I know we want to see Hayes in the lineup regularly. We want to see DJ Stewart in the lineup regularly. Well, some people, maybe not, but if, if you are a DJ Stewart believer, you want to see him in the lineup regularly, regularly to see what he can do. Uh, and so I don't think that's going to be an option though for the Orioles. I think you're going to see a lot of different lineups here. If Hayes and Stewart and Mullins continues to hit well, Santander is healthy, hitting well. He, he hit the home run just a few minutes ago. So that's great to see. There's there's going to be a lot of competition in this outfield and it's just going to be fun to watch all this unfold. And then when you get hopefully in another month or two, uh, what happens with Diaz, how healthy is Diaz and does he start raking in triple a Norfolk? I'm excited for all this outfield competition, but gotta see Hayes healthy. That's we've been saying for what three years now. Um, and it happened again, which, which sucks, but hopefully he comes back and it wasn't that serious. 
we are going to get into more prospect-related stuff on this show, but since we have just uh, mentioned his name a lot in the last few minutes, we do want to talk about Cedric Mullins, who um, really is off to a tremendous start for the season. In fact, hit his first home run of the year tonight against the Yankees. The one thing that has impressed me um, in, in the games that I've watched and looking at his uh, hits chart on uh, Baseball Savant, he's really hitting the ball well to off-field right now. Uh, you don't see a guy that's trying to pull for, you know, hit for power or even what we saw a little bit of last year where it seemed like if he's getting a hit um, or if he's in a bat at bat, drops down a bunt for a single. He's really driving the ball all over the field right now. And that's something that has impressed me. Yeah, and it actually the thing that is impressing me the most is if he he seems like he's been hitting lefty on lefty for like his whole entire life because He's, I feel like he's got a better batting average against left-handed pitching so far in very short sample, but it just seemed like anytime you face a lefty, he's slapping that ball hard to the left side. Um, just very impressive. He's, you can tell he's confident. He was trying to bunt for a base hit with two strikes and a full count in the first inning of the Yankee game tonight. Off, ultimately struck out. Would like to see him swing the bat with how hot he is, but man, a five for five game with the walk and three doubles. He's just The ball must look like a beach ball to him right now. And he's running balls down in center field like nobody's business. So very excited to have him start so hot this season. Yeah, he's been fantastic to watch. I think I mentioned before, back in 2019, when he went from being the starting center fielder, you know, this heir apparent to Adam Jones, unfairly or not, um, and he gets demoted to AAA after hitting under 100 uh, in a, his short sample size up there. Then he gets demoted again to AA. And when you watch those games at Bowie, like I mentioned before, that he just looked dejected. Like he didn't want to be at the plate. The body language, that normal, happy-go-lucky Cedric Mullins, that confident Cedric Mullins was just gone. He was not there. Um, this wasn't the Cedric Mullins of old that we saw coming up through the system and make his debut. Uh, but he had a short stint in 2020. He was a league average hitter, but the speed, the defensive abilities really make up for that. And I think make him a really desirable fourth outfield type that you want to have at the major league level. Uh, but now I think the question is, is Cedric Mullins becoming more than that? Um, I think we're still like, you know, a month or two away from better answering that question. But like you said, he's four for six against left-handers right now. And he's hitting before tonight, he was hitting 524, uh, leading the Orioles in plate appearances and had just four strikeouts entering tonight. Uh, I know he's, he did have that one strikeout today, but um you know, like I said, we'll see how this outfield situation shakes out. But, you know, unfortunately, we can't play the Red Sox for 162 games. Uh, but, you know, it's still shaping out to be a really fun year, in my opinion. Yeah, Mullins really has been impressive. And you don't want to get too excited about such a small sample size. But we really saw a lot of improvements in spring training. And it feels like they are carrying over. And I think, as Nick said, within a month or two, we're going to have a pretty clear idea if this is the new Cedric Mullins or if there is going to be some regression. Regardless, though, I, I don't see total regression coming here. I, I think if nothing else, the Orioles have a player that can be part of their plans in some way, shape, or form going forward. And someone who I think now has developed into a player that's solid on both sides of the ball. Um, it seemed like for a while there, it looks like the Best case scenario for Mullins might be to work his way back as sort of a speed and defense oriented fourth outfielder. But now is what he's doing with the bat. It's easy to envision more than that. Yeah. And, oh, go ahead, Nick. 
I, I was going to say, I, teams are, teams are going to have to stop shifting on him too because, like you mentioned, he's hitting, he's using all parts of the field. He's not afraid to lay down that butt. You don't even have to shift on him. He's he can bunt you straight up, and he's going to beat you out. So I mean, it's he's a lot of fun to watch, and it's just really good to see because, like you said, he was just so dejected and seemed out of it that it seemed like his career was was might have been done. I mean, I think I don't think that's a stretch to say. And now he's out there competing for a, a major league team. Yeah, and it's I mentioned it in my three up, three down column this week that you know even if he does come down to the bean, it's only logical that he's not going to hit. <laughs> 500 400 all season probably not even 300 but it just seems like he's really raised his floor as a as a player at the major league level where bare minimum he's going to be a guy that that you can start a couple times a week you can put him in late in games for defense at any outfield position you can pinch hit him pinch run him it just seems like he's really carving out a spot long term at the major leagues which is exciting to see yeah, and head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com if you've not already to le- read uh, Bob's latest three up, three down piece. Those are always uh, good reads throughout the season. Bob's now done two of them so far, uh, one to recap spring training and one to recap the opening series against the Red Sox, and he'll have that all season long over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh, we did want to get into some of the debuts that have happened uh, since the Orioles season started, and I'm going to start with Max Roller, who came in to – what was really mop-up duty in a blowout game on Monday that the Orioles were trailing against the Yankees and put together a pretty solid outing going two and two-thirds scoreless innings, two walks, and four strikeouts. Um, the strikeouts for me were probably the most encouraging part about that because as we talked about on our last show, so Roller really made the roster out of camp despite not striking hitters out in spring training. Um, but yet he was getting the strikeouts against the Yankees the other night. And I comes into what I have to imagine is a tough situation for your major league debut. Your team is trailing um, in a blowout game at Yankee Stadium against that lineup. You're brought into what's probably the least glamorous role that there is for a bullpen pitcher, which is to mop this up and try to stay in the game long enough that the Orioles don't burn through their bullpen. And Soroller did his job. Yeah, I've, what a debut! I mean, he had he had me mesmerized. I was supposed to be on vacation, but I, here I am watching Max Soroller. I mean, um, look, the last time he pitched in a real game was 2019, and that was high A ball. Like, and now it's been almost two years. You're at Yankee Stadium, which is intimidating enough. Their fans back again. You've got that stupid whistle that just annoys me to no end. Thank you got worst. Aaron Judge. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. And I think UVA does it as well. The school down the road here, which that, that that's fitting. But um, side tangent. But you're facing Aaron Judge here in your debut, who, like him or not, I mean, whatever MLB, you know, Aaron Judge breathes it. MLB is going to promote it like to no end. But it's still Aaron Judge. And to strike him out is amazing. And then go 2.2 innings without allowing – a hit and getting four strikeouts. That's a bright spot in an ugly game. I mean, you got to find the positives in these games. Um, you know, I think he did try to give it away there at the end, but he found just enough at the very end to close that out, to close out the, was that the ninth inning or so. Um, that's what I like to see, honestly. Um, a rule five draft pick, being able to find something instead of just completely collapsing, he found just that little bit else uh, to finish it off. And he even got some love from MLB.com talking about some of his his spin rate numbers, some of those advanced data numbers. I mean, the fastball, uh, it was David Adler of MLB put out a tweet that, that had the, the fastball that he struck out Aaron Judge with. I uh, had uh, over 2,700 RPMs on the fastball. So an elite spin rate, 
uh, that he calls this is that rising effect that you always hear about. It, it the ball didn't drop. It had such a high spin rate, and that's what got Judge swinging at it, swinging and missing on it. And that his average spin rate from his debut actually ranks right now 15th among all MLB pitchers. More than 350 pitchers have thrown at least one fastball in baseball already, and, and Max Roll is up there at the top as far as spin rate goes. So maybe that that's something. That's what the Orioles saw. Um, we had a podcast episode, law, tall, dark with a high spin rate. I mean, that's what the Orioles type. Um, that's right. So look, as, as long as he can locate his pitches, he showed us four good ones against the Yankees. I'm, I wasn't intrigued and now I am. Yeah. I mean, that splitter looked like a weapon. I mean, seven swings, seven misses against the Yankees. That's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, he was fighting through an adrenaline dump in that last inning. I think, you know, just so amped up. I bet you it was just, you get tired a lot faster. But he battled through it, kind of reminded me of Dean Kramer when he started against the Yankees in his uh, last year in his debut. He fought through it, and he, he got the job done. He saved the bullpen a little bit, and he saved our run differential. And, yeah, definitely was more excited about Tyler Wells coming into the season. But right now I'm going to have to say I'm more excited about Max Roller. And maybe at this rate he could earn himself a start or two at some point this season. Yeah, we heard a lot from the Orioles after Soroller was chosen in the Rule 5 draft about that four-pits mix, and you did see it on display against the Yankees. He kind of threw a little bit of everything at him, and it kind of leads me to believe that if he can do that effectively throughout the year, this is someone who you're going to be looking at um, as getting more than three outs in relief work and maybe as time goes on, coming into more high-leverage situations. Yeah, I mean, for sure, and it, Tyler, with Tyler Wells, I don't really have – that was the guy I think all of us were more excited about, and I don't really have any, like, notable takeaways from his first two outings now. Um, you know, coming in, late-game situations, low leverage, kind of blowout games, but I guess you couldn't really ask for more from Wells, it, being a Rule 5 – another Rule 5 guy who hasn't pitched in more than two years because of Tommy John surgery and then 2020 – uh, but like you said, both of these guys can show you that the bullpen needs length. I mean, you saw John Means tonight exit, but he couldn't get out of the fifth inning uh, because he was already up to like 93, 94 pitches. I mean, that's that's going to happen with this Orioles rotation. So if you've got guys like Soroller who can go two, three innings, uh, that's going to be great. It's going to really help out the rest of this bullpen. So you don't have Paul Fry exhausted four weeks from now. He looked like he was exhausted after a third of an inning uh, in his first game. Yeah. yeah, Tyler Wells, I don't know. I mean, obviously, garbage time for the most part. And he, his pitches looked a little flatter to me than they did in spring training, but I wonder if he's overthrowing a little bit, just a little too amped up. But he's got that 94-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's showing his stuff. But hopefully he can earn some more high-leverage chances as the season goes on. Yeah, the, the velocity looks like it's there. So I, I think that that's definitely an encouraging sign, especially for a guy coming off the Tommy John surgery. Um, really what I'm wondering is, do they keep him at this one inning um, limit or really not a limit, but they just limit him to one inning outings for a while? Or do they, because he was a starter in the minor leagues, look to start stressing him out a little bit? It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, if it's been so long, again, like, yeah. I think – if, if you really do see him as a future piece that can contribute, whether in the probably not as a rotation piece, but if you really do think he can contribute, then I think the Orioles will probably take him easy. I don't think there's going to be a big roster crunch per se, so they can kind of hang on to him and do those one inning outings. Yeah, when you got Adam Plutko giving you three innings at a time, you're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so I don't want to move on from this part of the discussion without acknowledging what John Means has done so far. Um, seven shutout innings on opening day against the Red Sox. And then, as Nick mentioned, couldn't get out of the fifth tonight in Yankee Stadium, but still limited the Yankees to a run. Uh, so far, his stuff looks really good, especially that fastball change-up combination. Um, are the two of you hopeful, and I'll start with Nick on this, are you hopeful for what we're going to see from him this year? Yeah, I think I think this is a more I think this is an improved John Means on what we saw his rookie year. Uh, by the end of the year, I think you're looking at something. Yeah, I, I want to say something really special here. I'm not talking about like future Cy Young winner here, but I'm and not a top of the rotation guy probably even. But this is a guy who I still think he's a mid rotation pitcher on a really good ball club, but a really good number three pitcher uh, or maybe even number two guy. I mean, the changeup, the movement on the changeup is back from his rookie year. Uh, the velocity is down, yeah, but he's commanding the pitch better. All of his pitches have so much more movement now. They look crisper. He looks sharp. He looks confident. I, this is the John Means I think all of us were excited to see, and it's really great to see this. We we always said throw 2020 out the window because of you know this long list of reasons why we could throw John Means 2020 season away. And I think you know, it, it's easy to say that when a guy struggles, but for John Means, I think this case was a little different, and he's proving that. Uh, this year through these first two starts. Only one earned run against in just under 12 innings against the Red Sox and Yankees. That's Couldn't ask for a better way to start the year. Yeah, and I think tonight he continues his streak of giving up one run or less in six straight starts now. Um, yeah, he was amazing in opening day against the Red Sox. His fastball was only averaging 91.5, which is down a few ticks from last year, but that changeup was just on point. And <laughs> he could do whatever he wanted at that point. Whether they were looking change up, he threw the fastball by him. They were looking fastball, they swung right through the change up. Tonight it seemed like his change up, he didn't have quite the feel for it. He was going to his fastball a lot more often, but the fastball was more than a mile an hour faster on average tonight. So maybe if he can kind of just split the difference the next time out, we could see a no hitter. But no, he looks great. I think Nick said it perfectly. I think he's going to be a solid mid-rotation guy on a good team, not just a team like the Orioles. He's an obvious ace for us right now, and I'm very uh, bullish on him, not bearish. Bearish would be bad. I'm bullish. <laughs> yeah, I get to suit mix up sometimes. So, <laughs> so um, after opening day, it became official. Ryan Mountcastle is no longer a prospect. Uh, he barely qualified as a prospect coming into this season. Uh, it took just one game for him to no longer be prospect eligible. Um, although to clarify for anybody that might be confused, he is still eligible to win rookie of the year. But if you were to put out a top prospect list for the Orioles today, uh, Ryan Mountcastle would not be on there because he's not eligible to be there anymore. We had him number four on our preseason list, uh, knowing though that he would be coming off uh, that list pretty quickly. Officially, we're not going to update the top 30 at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com until July. But uh, we wanted to get into really a two-part discussion here, which is uh, that Mountcastle is no longer a prospect and uh, sort of who we see coming in now as a potential 30th prospect. Um, so I'll start with Bob here. We spent a lot of time last year uh, lobbying for Mountcastle to make the major leagues. He finally did played really well in 2020 off to a somewhat slow start here in 2021, but it's also only six games. Uh, just in general, your thoughts on him. Yeah, he is off to a slow start. And I think, you know, he's a guy, it seems like 
He's just got to get that timing down. I think he talked about it even after he hit that uh, game-winning kind of, you know, the go-ahead run double off the green monster. I think he talked about in the post-game show that he still doesn't completely have his timing down, and it kind of shows, but it's Ryan Mountcastle. We know what he can do. He's going to hit. It's not really a question. It's just a matter of when, not if. But, yeah, I think he'll still be in the running for Rookie of the Year, and it'll be interesting to see who can fill that spot. I mean, temporarily, it's Daryl Hernandez for MLB Pipeline, and I think Tyler Wells would move in there for us, or maybe not, depending if <laughs> Jemai Jones. Our list is all messed up. Let's just face it. We'll, we'll fix it in July. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I We were talking about before the show started, once these minor league games get going and these people actually get on the field, I think you're going to see – a big scramble, especially in that bottom half of the list. Just who's going to break through, who's going to show how much they've improved, and who's going to kind of fall off a little bit. Yeah, I feel like we're missing a, a opportunity here with this segment. Like We have Pop and Circumstance playing in the background as we give our graduation speeches every time <laughs> a prospect graduates. But, I mean, it's it's fun. Like I've traveled a, many miles to watch Ryan Mountcastle over the few years. He was the shortstop Ryan Mountcastle of – Ryan Mountcastle, the third baseman, then the first baseman. Now he's an outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles. He's off the top 30 list. He's a potential American League Rookie of the Year hitter this year. I mean, um, you know, this is it's a lot of fun. Like Bob mentioned, we've got some work to do on our top 30. We we published our initial list before Jemiah Jones came over in that trade. Uh, Mountcastle is now gone. Keegan Aiken will prob ending Kramer should graduate soon. We'll see how long Keegan Aiken stays at the alt site, but you got guys there. You've got some more guys who are probably going to graduate, um, you know, but with Mount Castle, yeah, he is off to that slow start. And I was looking at some of his numbers before we came on. And I mean, you're looking at, he's ranks in the 14th and 15th percentile in average exit velocity and hard hit percentage, which, you know, isn't great considering we've seen across major league baseball, guys are hitting the ball extremely hard so far this year. Home runs really haven't been there. Although I feel like the last day or so the home runs have definitely ticked up, but um Pitchers are throwing him all breaking balls. I mean, it's 40% breaking balls, and he's not hitting them. I think that hit – he had one hit against the Yankees the other night. I think that was his first one. Uh, and he's got a 50% whiff rate on those breaking pitches. So that is – I mean, that's exactly what it says. It's a timing issue. So once he gets that timing down, I think he'll, he'll be all right, and he'll settle in. Uh, but he's been more selective at the plate. He's not swinging at first pitch as much. He's not swinging at pitches outside the zone as much. So those are small things you like to see early on. So I'm not worried, but, you know, point those numbers out now. But, um, you know, like you mentioned with Hernandez, officially, I guess Hernandez is number 30 with the Orioles on MLB Pipeline. Someone we're all very anxious to watch because we have an opportunity to. He's a high school pick, spent 2019 in the GCL, so we didn't get to see him, obviously. But um, great on base numbers, seems just like a raw prospect, raw shortstop prospect with some good potential. So he's going to be a, a long, long list of guys I think we're all very anxious to watch finally play baseball this year. Yeah, and we talked about this a lot when we did our initial top 30 list. Um, we felt so strong about the players that just missed the top 30. We actually did a separate show for them. Um, and Hernandez was one of the guys that we talked about on that episode, and as was Tyler Wells. Um, to my Jones, I, I'm guessing that if that trade had happened a few weeks earlier, would have been on our list. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't really pinpointed exactly where I would have put him other than to say that it probably would have been in the 15 to 20 range. Um, but now you would probably look at him as a top 30 prospect. But, you know, as we've kind of discussed, there's going to be a lot of shuffling around uh, between now and July. 
Um, and as for Mountcastle, I think Nick gave a pretty good summary there. Um, the overall signs that you're seeing, he's struggling with the breaking ball. But I haven't felt like in the bats that I've watched that he's expanding the zone too much. So I don't necessarily see this as a sign of regression to where, oh, Mountcastle is struggling. Now he's expanding the zone the way he did in the minor leagues. I, I think that his pitch selection as a whole is better and it is still better. It just has not translated into, um, you know, a good start this year, I think, because of the timing. He's just got to get his timing down. For sure. Yeah, and uh, Bob just sent us an update here uh, on the show. Let's check in with uh, Zach Pop. Yeah, so maybe our odds of getting Zach Pop back in the organization went up just a little bit tonight because he walked the bases loaded and then proceeded to give up a grand slam. He really stinks. Uh, I think the Marlins really need to get him back, get him out of their bullpen, give themselves a chance to get back in the playoffs this year. Yeah. Bring him back to an organization that knows how to develop pitchers. That's right. That. That's right. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we, in all seriousness, we wish uh, Zach Pop well, but Bob brought that up. So wanted to bring that up while we were on the air. Um, next week on our show, we're going to have on Dr. Stephen Loftus, who if you're a regular reader of Baltimore Sports and Life, you've seen his draft coverage before. He does excellent work there. He's also a co-host over at the warehouse. And he is been a guest on this show multiple times. In fact, next week will be his third appearance on our show. So we're going to be really excited to have him on, and we're going to have an in-depth discussion about the draft next week. But before we have that, we do want to get into a little bit of a discussion tonight because I believe it was before our last show, and we just couldn't squeeze it in. Baseball America put out its latest mock draft, and it had the Orioles selecting Miami catcher Adrian Del Castillo with the fifth overall pick. Now, you might ask why two years after drafting Adley Rutzman, the Orioles would take another catcher this high in the draft. Um, the answer is that coming into this year, the reports on Del Castillo's bat were really positive and that it would play well at other positions around the field, especially first base. And it's a pretty sure left-handed bat, but off to a little bit of a slow start this year at Miami. Um, which uh, Stephen talked about in his article in Baltimore Sports and Life today. But, Bob, uh, you've actually seen the mock draft. Um, what, what's your thought on Del Castillo being linked to the Orioles uh, at this point? It's pretty interesting. I mean, obviously we don't need that star catcher anymore. We got Adley Rutschman on the way up, which kind of exciting. Uh, MLB Pipeline put out a thing where they said they could, Orioles fans could expect Adley up uh, sometime in July, which is a little earlier than I expected. Maybe we could talk about that. But yeah, I mean, if the if the kid can hit, then we'll probably take him at that point. If they if the Orioles trust his bat enough, he's a collegiate hitter. We know how they how they are with that. He, he's a big hitter. You put him at first base where he could be your backup slash third catcher. I think you know if they feel like they could develop him into that, that would uh, that would make some sort of sense. But the thing for me that's getting a little interesting is the struggles of Alex Benelis and Judd Fabian plus the injury to Jaden Hill is maybe we can get one of those guys in the second round or with our second pick if they fall far enough. You know, maybe we could steal steal another draft away from these these other teams that are we're leaving them in our dust. 
Yeah, we didn't really talk about Del Castillo in our college baseball preview episode. I did throw the name out there, I believe, just because he's a catcher and I want to see the Orioles cause chaos. But I think he, he you read most reports and it doesn't seem like he's going to stick behind the plate. But he does have – he kind of fits that Michael Elias mold that we've seen these last two years uh, in early round draft picks. He comes from a Power 5 school, ACC school in Miami, and he hits the ball really hard. So, I mean, that's two things, very simply put, uh, that Michael Elias seems to like. Uh, you mentioned Fabian. He's He struggled. He actually he has nine home runs this year, but he also has 46 strikeouts, and he's hitting 236. Uh, so, and I know Baseball America, Prospects Live, uh, I think even Eric Loggenhagen at Fangrass had some notes on him. A lot of people are writing up great pieces on Judd Fabian, diving into him a little bit more. So if you're interested, I'd say go check those out. But as far as Castillo goes, I mean, the numbers are, are still okay. I mean, he's 24 games this year. Look at his numbers now. He's got a 323 average and a 407 on base percentage. So you like the, the on-base numbers. Uh, you haven't seen the home runs. He only has three home runs, uh, but he's got 10 walks to 12 strikeouts. And that's something that he's done across his whole career. Um 50, he's got his career, 53 walks and only 44 strikeouts in 101 games at Miami. So that's against high-quality ACC pitching. You like to see that. Uh, he's got some success some success on the Cape Cod League, uh, but still came back in 2020, raked with Miami. He's at least getting on base this year. You know, I, I think if we get closer to the draft, I just want to see how Orioles fans react to see the Orioles connected to a catcher. But, I mean, it doesn't matter what position you are. Take the top guy available. I think that's why Baseball America slotted Del Castillo there. Um, take the best guy available. He's a college bat who can hit the ball well. A left-hander at Camden Yards. That should play well uh, also. Um, you see a lot of Kyle Schwarber comps also on him, which I don't hate that idea. But I, I was just thinking, and this could be wrong, I don't do player comps. So, But I instantly think of like a J.C. Ascara, if you're thinking of somebody in the Orioles system now. Um a guy college bat out of Florida. Yeah. I think he was FIU though. So not an ACC school, but he was a catcher, but now he's a first baseman with some power and okay defense for the Orioles. So I'm thinking maybe a really tooled up better, see much higher ceiling JC Ascara type with Del Castillo. I don't know, but we'll see as we get closer. And we have Steven Loftus on the, the expert to yeah. set a strike there. Yeah, he, he can absolutely set us straight. And Schwarber is actually a comp that I've seen thrown around for Heston Kerstad, um as well. So it's kind of interesting to hear that name brought up in connection to Del Castillo. One thing to Nick's point that I wanted to mention was that in 2019, which was Del Castillo is actually only full season of college baseball because last year was shortened by the pandemic. He walked 32 times and struck out 24 times in 282 plate appearances. So that gives you a good sense of how impressive his uh, ability to get on base and to draw walks uh, has been and all the while really not striking out at a high rate. So if he can maintain that, that's something that makes him more intriguing to me, uh, especially because you're probably not going to leave him a catcher if you do draft him, just knowing how close he and Adley Rutzman are um, in terms of their development, their age, their proximity to the majors. It's not like you're going to play out Adley Rutzman's deal and Del Castillo is going to replace him. They're going to be arriving to the majors probably only a year or two apart. So you're going to have to account early on, I think. If you do, if the Orioles do draft Del Castillo, uh, they're going to have to account pretty early on where do they want to move him. Yeah, Samuel Basalo is going to be Adley's replacement. We already know that. So, Yeah, and I mean, you look at the top of the draft, I, and again, we can dive 
deeper into this next week, but I mean, I, I get the feeling that we're not going to get Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker at this point. Uh, Jaden Hill's out of the running in the top five. Like Bob said, maybe we can get him later on, but he's out for the year. So another injury for him. Um, I don't really, I don't know anything about these high school kids. So of course maybe they can jump in or so, but um, you know, when you look at, looking at guys like I know Judd Fabian was the early guy that was connected to the Orioles for all this time, but yes, he's got the power. Yes. He can play fantastic defense, but if he's striking out 40% of the time and I got a guy like Adrian Del Castillo who can get on base at a high clip, not strike out, and we can hopefully find somewhere a home for him on defense. And I know Orioles fans probably don't want to hear that either though. When you're talking about Del Castillo, uh, when you're talking about Ryan Mountcastle and others, well, yeah, the bat's good, but you got to find a home for him on defense. I know Orioles fans don't want to hear that, but if the Orioles really like Del Castillo's bet, I mean, I I would support it 100%. And there's also the possibility of just take the best player, develop him the best you can, and if he's blocked, trade him for a nice return at some point, like the Padres did. I do want to discuss Fabian for a minute because that was a guy that I had actually brought up when we did our college preview as someone that I had my eye on coming into the year because it seemed like he was the type of pure center field prospect that the Orioles really don't have in their system um, right now. The thing that concerns me is, as Nick mentioned, the strikeouts. Uh, He has 46 strikeouts through 27 games, 236 batting average. Um, So it's not like a Heston Kerstad situation where, yes, he does strike out, but the batting average numbers are actually pretty good. His batting average is low. Yeah, and it's it's been low. I mean, throughout his college career, I think. I mean, I think if I'm looking at these numbers, right, this is last week. Uh, so he would have been what, one for eleven uh, with a walk and six strikeouts last weekend. Um, so I mean, it's the swing and miss issues are real. Uh, actually, looking at this article here, and this is from Kevin Goldstein and Logan Hagen. I think this is their latest college notes section. I mean, he leads the nation in whiffs, thirty-seven uh, percent strikeout rate, uh, and that's. 21 of those 37 or 21% in uh, conference at bats. So basically he's striking out at a high clip against sec bats as well. Uh, so that's, that's definitely a troubling sign. Um, like we've got enough guys. I think we look at a guy like Heston Kerstad, he's going to probably, if he at his peak hit 30 home runs, but he's going to strike out more than a hundred times for sure. Um, I think we have enough of those guys where I, I want the high on base guys. Is uh, Cole Calhoun uh, a good comp for Jeff Fabian? Power strikes out good defense. Could be. I don't know. If, I don't know if you take Cole Calhoun fifth overall, but he's a solid player. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still some value to be had with Judd Fabian, but I, I think Bob, as you said, that it kind of comes back to: Do you take him fifth overall? Which right now, I think this, with the start he's off to, probably not, unless you either one love the defense and the power, and you're willing to live with a low batting average and the strikeouts, or you just strongly believe that you can bring Judd Fabian into your system and correct the strikeouts and the low batting average before he gets to the major leagues. Well, how's Matt McLean doing this year? Haven't checked in on him. That's a good question. We'll um, actually pull up some numbers here. While you're pulling up his numbers, there's another note here, though, about Fabian swing and miss stuff. Uh, they note that guys like George Springer, Chris Bryant, and even Aaron Judge never had strikeout rates that compared to Judd Fabian. So, yeah, maybe a little, a little bit more concerning there. Looks like, go ahead, Zach. You got it. 
Yeah, so I got McLean's numbers here via baseball reference. Through 25 games, he's got 284 average, um, 856 OPS, and four homers. I know the question, I think one of the bigger questions about him coming in was, what would the power look like? He doesn't seem like a guy that's going to project for a lot of power numbers, but he has, for what it's worth, matched his home run total from 2019 already. Uh, just take that for what it's worth. Yeah, in 2019, he had 17 walks and 64 strikeouts, and already in half as many games, he has 17 walks and only 19 strikeouts this year. Again, he might not be fifth pick material, but he hasn't ruined his stock too much. No. I guess the only thing would be is do you do you really view him as a starting shortstop? At the Doesn't, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and if not, would you move on to a guy like Del Castillo or or maybe one of the even the high school picks? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe I know that uh, Lawler and Mayer are like the two guys if you're going to go high school. So if one of them fall, maybe they go there. It's will they take a, an actual college arm that's not lighter or a rocker at five? That's another question I have. Yeah, and these are all questions that I know we'll get into when Steven comes on next week. Um, it's worth noting, uh, Mayor and Lawler actually top uh, Steven's list on the draft model, which is uh, something he has created and uh, publishes at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. And we'll give him a chance to talk more about that next week, but. Uh, right now, one two on the draft model are Marcelo Mayer and Jordan Waller with Kumar Rocker third. That means teams should pass on Jack. <laughs> yeah, just let him fall to number five. Yeah, so I'll put this out there about Jack Leiter real quick because I, I don't think he's going to follow the Orioles just with the start that he's having. Um. Will you breathe a sigh of relief if one of the teams that picks before the Red Sox does draft him? I will literally stand on my couch and applaud. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I want him so bad. I've I've been Jack Leiter over Kumar Rocker uh, even last year, and I think I only saw one of Leiter's outings last year. But I think I watched probably four or five of his outings this year. He's got seven now. I mean. 42 innings pitched, only two earned runs, 71 strikeouts. I mean, it's it's absurd. And he's facing solid teams as well. He's, he's not doing this against absolute nobodies uh, like his numbers last year, 2020, and the few starts before the shutdown. I mean, but the attitude on the mound is something I love. I want – give me a pitcher with attitude. Give me a pitcher with confidence. Give me that guy on the mound that says, I know I'm better than you. I'm going to strike you out. Uh, and, you, look, it's – this is my mouth. This is my field. Uh, that's what I want. Cause I, the Orioles just don't have, bring it back to the Orioles for a second. I feel like the Orioles just don't have that. They don't have those big personalities on this roster. I want to start seeing some of that at Camden yards and Jack ladder could be that guy when he's just standing there batters, like coming out of the batter's box and Jack ladder doesn't step off the rubber with him. He stands there in his position, ready to go. I think that's one of the coolest sights of college baseball this year. I want him so bad and it's not going to happen. So I just stopped thinking about it now. And he's what? He's consistently 97 mile an hour, right? I mean, throughout the whole yeah. game, it, it's very, very impressive. Yeah, it seems unfair that the Detroit Tigers get all of the young pitching prospects somehow, and they have Spencer Torkelson. But I'll take that over Jack Leiter going to the Red Sox. For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that I have some of my pirate uh, fan friends listening to this thinking, well, it doesn't matter because we're not going to take him. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be frustrating to be a Pirates fan, and that's coming from an Oriole fan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rivals during football season, but Sarah and Odd Bond during baseball season. (laughs) I think it's a fair way to describe it. So that's uh, really the main point, uh, main topics on tonight's show. Um, and as I mentioned, we'll have Dr. Stephen Loftus on next week. Um, in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. Check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all of the latest coverage on the Orioles and Baltimore sports in general. And as I mentioned, Bob and Stephen Loftus both have new pieces up there this week. And be sure to hop on the message board and join and discuss them while you're there and check out the other podcasts are a part of Baltimore Sports and Life Radio. Uh, before we wrap up tonight, I'll go to Bob first. Any final thoughts you want to add? It's only up from here if Sean Armstrong got off to the worst possible start imaginable after coming back from paternity leave and giving up a grand slam to, or walking a run in and then giving up a grand slam to Giancarlo Stanton uh, that was just hit out of Yankee Stadium and. You know, hopefully these new dads like Austin Hayes and Sean Armstrong can kind of turn it around. I know Hayes had that dad power going in spring, but he's hurt and now Armstrong's getting lit up. So, you know, come on, represent for the dads out there. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's we didn't mention Bruce Zimmerman or Dean Kramer, but they had great starts. Well, Zimmerman had a fantastic start. I think we'll say that for sure. I'm really excited to watch him. I think he can really solidify his chances his slot in the bullpen or starting rotation. I'm, I'm losing it. I've been driving five hours today. Um, he, I think he's going to solidify his spot behind John means. I think by the end of this year, especially if he keeps pitching like this uh, and, and Dean Kramer last night, I know the start wasn't maybe fantastic. If you look at just the baseline numbers or maybe because of the way the Orioles have been hitting the ball against the Yankees this series, except maybe tonight, um, you know, it's kind of maybe a little bit disappointing in Kramer's first outing, but I think if you dive a little bit deeper into his numbers, I really liked Kramer's outing, except for those last few at-bats where he just threw, like, no strikes. Uh, but diving into his numbers a little bit more, Dean Kramer's first outing I think was fine, and he's going to settle in this year for sure as well. I'm actually super excited to watch the starting rotation for the Baltimore Orioles this year, something I did not think I was going to say. Yeah, that's a good point. And live reaction, Ryan Mountcastle just misplayed a ball out in left field that would have ended the eighth inning. So, <sighs> future DH. Yeah. Well, this is why we're drafting Del Castillo and putting him in. <laughs> <laughs> now you're really going to fire up Orioles Twitter deck. <laughs> that's fine. We can use some action. All right. Well, that uh, does it for us on the Verds for on the Verds this week. And uh, however you watch the home opener tomorrow. Enjoy it. Uh, it's always a special tradition here in Baltimore. And even though uh, we need to have lower capacity measures for safety reasons right now, it's a pandemic. Um, still going to be an enjoyable day. So have fun watching it however you watch it. And uh, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. And you've been listening to On the Verge. <laughs>